Hello everyone, Pastor Steve here, uh, Wednesday night Bible study. Glad you're here. We are in the Gospels. Uh, we're doing part 12. I hope everyone had a wonderful Easter. I know your Easter was a little bit different, uh, this year for everyone, but, uh, you know, whether we're all grouped together or where we're just by ourselves, we can still worship God and acknowledge who God is and what God has done for us. Praise God. So I hope you are uh, enjoying the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the uh, online uh, ministry that we've been doing every Sunday. Uh, remember to check our website and uh, check our YouTube page uh, for any uh, additional updates and our Facebook page. Any updates uh, will be there. So we'll be broadcasting again live this uh, this Sunday in our podcast or download uh, are downloaded for you. Don't forget we have the Gospels going on. We have uh, men's ministry going on. We also have marriage ministry going on. So, uh, tonight we'll be in the Gospels. I'll be in the in John. I know we've been putting the uh, Gospels together, uh, but John chapter 7 and chapter 8 gives us some information, and even chapter 9, that the other Gospels don't. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in the Gospel of John. This week we'll be in Gospel of John chapter 7. And remember, on the uh, webpage, there's a little icon there. You can click that, and you can download my uh, my outlines. So you have your own outline. You can follow along as I go along. So uh, I'm broadcasting uh, from an undisclosed location in La Mirada. And I have uh, a couple of guests in-house, and so they might ask some questions, and uh, we thought it might be nice to be able to have some questions or some response on, on, on any of this. So, But again, if you have any questions or concerns or comments, uh, please don't forget to email us or, or call us. Let us know, because we want to make sure we answer your questions. Okay? So we're going to be in the Gospel of John, Chapter 7. I'll be reading uh, verses 1 through 9. And remember, we're doing theology here when we're looking at this. What is God doing? We want to ask that question of Scripture. What is God doing? Who is God? What is God doing? And then, where am I in relationship to what God is doing? In other words, if God is moving, God is doing something, we should be right there. We should be in the midst of that. So remember that. That's what theology is. So the Gospel of John, chapter 7 Verse 1, it says, And after these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, and he was unwilling to walk in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, as I said last week in the last few weeks, that as we've been going through the study in the Gospels, that now we're in the part where we're getting closer to the cross. We're getting closer to where they're going to kill uh, Christ. He's going to give his life up. They don't kill him. He gives his life up. And so uh, you're going to be hearing more about about uh, the fact that they they want to come after him. They want to get him. And his ministry gets becomes very intense at this point. So he doesn't want to go to Judea, which is the southern part of Israel, uh, where the temple was at, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, uh, verse 2. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of Booths, was at hand. This is... Um, a late harvest feast. It's the end of the, uh, it's past the, uh, last of the harvest feast. And what it is, it's a, 
uh, celebration. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles also, the Feast of Booth, Feast of Tabernacles. But what it does is it celebrates the fact that when they wandered uh, in the desert, that God protected them and uh, watched over them. Their clothes didn't uh, wear out or any of that. So that feast, the Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles, celebrates that particular fact. So it's that time of year uh, for that. Verse 3. Wait, we have a question. Yes. So, he does his teaching at a feast. During his ministry, does he observe every single feast? Uh, we don't know that he observes every single feast, but we have record of him attending uh, Passover, the Feast of Booths, also the Feast of Dedication, which is not a biblical. I think we're going to get to that one next week, which was is not biblical, but it celebrates uh, what happened in between the Testament period with the Maccabees and all that. We'll get into that. So to answer your question directly, the evidence is yes, because you we have quite a few scriptures that have in the temple during the time of the of the feast so he is an observant jew so he is participating in that but it gets a little interesting as we read on here about what happens at this particular feast so verse 3 it says his brothers therefore said to him depart from here and go to judea that your disciples also may behold your works which you are doing um, his brothers. It doesn't mention his brothers here, and sometimes people could say, oh, this is a reference to brethren. No, it's a reference to brothers. You don't have to look at it now, but write it down. Matthew 13, verses 55 to 56. It names Jesus' brothers, and it mentions that he has sisters. It does not give their names, but in Matthew 13, Verses 55 and 56, it makes reference to his siblings. So there's a reference there for you. Verse 4, it says, For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. Notice, his brothers, those who were very close to him, weren't believing him at this point. What were they believing him to be? Maybe enlightened, maybe a, a man of God, son of God, maybe a prophet, maybe a, an extraordinary teacher, but Messiah that connection wasn't there yet. And this is what Jesus is doing at this time of his ministry, is he's now getting rid of any doubt about who he is. And he's making a lot of messianic statements, a lot of statements about that he is the Christ, he is the one sent from God. So we're going to be getting into those those kind of statements. So notice here, his brothers aren't 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 believing in him. And they're actually asking him to go to the temple and, and declare yourself. But, you know, God is a God of plan and design. And Jesus just isn't going to go into the temple and say, I'm here, I'm I'm sent from God, let's get on with it. No, there's an appointed time for everything. And so Jesus' ministry has an appointed date and an appointed time. And so he's waiting for that time uh, to be for the fullness of Scripture to go forward. So verse 6, Jesus therefore said to them, My time is not yet at hand. But your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it, that its deeds are evil. Uh, you know, 
Jesus came right out and, and spoke it and, and, and said some difficult things to people. And, you know, he said, this is what you're doing. This is who you are. And this is who you're supposed to be. And this is one of the reasons they wanted to kill him, because he was calling them out on things that they were doing. They were pretending, especially the Sadducees and the Pharisees, were pretending to be very religious, very devout. But in fact, they weren't. It was all about them. And even today, you know, you, you have that whenever anybody in Christianity uh, uh, says anything or speaks out against anything, you know, right away the world wants to shoot them down. Yeah, another question. Yes. So um, where it says the world cannot hate you, were the, the receivers of the message, were, were they offended because essentially Jesus called them worldly? And did they know that context back then? It, not to the extent that we do. Uh, he wasn't going directly at them as he does later on with Peter. Satan, get the, behind me, that kind of thing. He's making a, a, a broad general statement here. He says, my time is not yet at hand, but your time is always opportune. In other words, they can always do what God has called them to do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. It's a reference into the fact of what he's going to be doing and the fact that he's going to be changing everything. He is the one who, who in a sense, turns the world upside down, not the disciples, but him. And later on, he even says about our ministry, you know, it's not you that they're rejecting, it's me that they're rejecting. So it's along those those lines. He's not directing it directly at them, but he's letting them know, you know, we're just the messengers here. It's the messenger that they're really having the problem with. So that's kind of the context there. So then verse 8, he says, Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to the feast because my time is not yet fully come. And having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. Now to your question earlier, did Jesus always go to the feast? Here he's telling them, you guys go. I'm not going to go because my time isn't ready yet. Okay, now, if we stopped right there, we would assume Jesus isn't going to this feast. He's not attending the feast. But when you keep reading, we find out something else is going on here. Verse 10. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, as it were, but in secret. So, my question to my audience, and even my audience here today is, did Jesus lie? Because he said he wasn't going. And then he tells him, you go. And then after they leave, he goes up secretly. Does Jesus lie? I mean, it's just something we have to, we have to, because you have to know the answer to this question. Because if you're trying to evangelize someone, and if someone were to bring the scripture up to you, how would you now respond? It's a difficult question. The answer is right in front of us. <laughs> there's there's laughter and tension in the room. Well, he says um, he says he says he's not going because his time has not yet come. So he is kind of like he'll go when his time comes. You go when his when his time comes. Prior to that, his brothers were 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 telling him go and do what. Make yourself be known. And he says, my time has not come yet. You guys go. So he didn't want to march in with them, 
like this triumphant entry. He didn't because it wasn't time for that yet. But he's still going to keep the feast. So he's not lying. He's just saying, I'm not going in the context you want me to go in. I'm not going to go up to the feast the way you guys go. I'm not going to go with you. He goes secretly. But even once he's there, uh, he's, he, he does something publicly, which is going to come out in the, in the scripture here. So let's keep reading. Verse 11, the Jews therefore were seeking him at the feast, and they were saying, where is he? Now again, this kind of answers the question. They're expecting him to be at the feast. Why? Because Jesus was probably at all the feasts. He was there when he was supposed to be. So the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, where is he? And there was much grumbling among the multitudes concerning him. Some were saying, he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads the multitude astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now, this is just not the Jews per se. It's, you know, the Jews are also referenced to the priesthood, to the Sanhedrin, the ruling class, those that would want to, uh, 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 you know, openly uh, condemn Jesus, those that wanted to put him on the cross, those that would also uh, ostracize someone who came out in favor of Jesus. That was going on as well. No one was speaking openly before fear of the Jews. So here you have this situation where they're going to the temple. It's a feast that's to, just, that's to be celebrated. They're looking for him. His his brothers and his 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 his, his, uh, his disciples were, were were there, and he goes in secretly because again. See, what would have happened if he would have showed up with them? There would have been this big calamity. There would have been this whole thing going on. And Jesus said, my time is not ready to be uh, uh, dealt with in that manner. So verse 14. But when he was now in the midst of the feast, Jesus went into the temple and began to teach. So he doesn't deny who he is. He doesn't deny his responsibility or anything. He goes into the temple and he begins to teach. The Jews, therefore, were marveling, saying, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? So, you know, this is the word of God speaking. So when, you know, I, you know, how would you have loved to have heard Jesus teach? I mean, it would be so pure, so fantastic, so, so, so filling, because here is the, the, the word incarnate right in front of us. This is God, uh, uh, explaining and teaching who he is, teaching what the word of God is. And so they're marveling at, at this, and, and, and they know he doesn't have this education. And how did he get all of this? And so Jesus answers them, verse 16. Jesus therefore answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. But he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Jesus is saying, I'm not here to proclaim myself. I'm not here to to uh, uh, shed this light on me. I'm here because of the one who sent me. But also think about this in terms of the church. What is God doing? We're not preaching the word of God to build ourselves up. 
We're not preaching the word of God to gain glory for ourselves. We do it for the one who has sent us to do it. So, you know, the, the, the lesson is there for us to learn and understand. And basically he's saying, you'll know the difference. If I'm talking about myself or if I'm talking about God, you, you should know the difference. And sometimes, let me chase a rabbit right here. In church, this is a big problem. That sometimes people don't know enough of the word of God that someone that is a false teacher uh, can easily sway them or, or take them down heresy, a road of heresy or false teaching because they talk about Jesus and they say this and they say that, but they don't know enough to know if that teacher is really teaching the word of God correctly. And so this is why it's important to know what the Word of God says, to know who God is, uh, to know the work of the Holy Spirit, to know the work of Christ, so that, that we're not, we don't fall victim uh, to someone who comes along and tries to sway us with some sort of persuasive teaching. Uh, verse 19, he says, Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you carries out the law. Why do you seek to kill me? You know, Jesus is, you know, <laughs> he's reading their mail. You know, he knows what's going on on the inside of them. He knows what they want to do. And he says, you know, you're over here trying to catch me in a fault. You're over here uh, trying to say, who am I and why am I doing all this? But yet you've had the law all these years and you don't even follow it yourselves. That's why he constantly called them especially the uh, the the uh, the Pharisees called them hypocrites because they said one thing and did another verse 20 the multitude answered you have a demon who seeks to kill you now see there's a difference here between the laity and the leadership leadership were the ones that were driving this momentum to kill Christ and get rid of him. Remember the triumphant entry of Jesus, which we talked about uh, in church two weeks ago, that Jesus entered into Jerusalem. It was the local people. It was the laity, in a sense, that proclaimed him king. But then he does what? He, get, he, goes, into a, he goes into an empty temple, and the ruling class is nowhere to be found. The ones that were there that should have and could have proclaimed him king and made the recognition that he is Messiah. They weren't there. They were nowhere to be found. And so this multitude are saying, uh, you have a demon who seeks to kill you because they're disconnected from what the hierarchy is trying to do. It's uh, a who's trying to kill you in verse 21. Uh, Jesus answered and said to them, I did one deed and you all marvel. He's talking about, you know, his teaching here. He says, on this account, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, that law, that the law of Moses may not be broken. Are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous Judgment. Now, Jesus is bringing a lot into these two verses here, 22 and 23. He's talking about, I'll read it again, 22. So on this account, Moses has given you circumcision. You know, he was talking about in, in Exodus and Numbers, what was going on there. And it is from Moses, but from the fathers. On the Sabbath day, you circumcise a man. In other words, on the Sabbath day, what he's saying, you were supposed to do no work. 
But according to the law of Moses, a child had to be a male child had to be circumcised on the eighth day. If that eighth day fell on the Sabbath, they would circumcise him on the Sabbath, even though they were trying to get Jesus in trouble because he was healing on the Sabbath. Uh, he was doing miracles on the Sabbath, and they were saying, you're not supposed to be doing these things. But he's saying to them, you know, if if according to the law of Moses, if, if circumcision falls on the eighth day, and that's the Sabbath day, you do it. Why are you condemning me? Because I do a work from God on the Sabbath day. So again, he's just pointing out that they're hypocrites. He's just showing, you know, you're saying one thing, but you're doing something else. But he's also teaching with clarity and giving them understanding uh, about, about all of this. That's why, going back to this account here in John, John 7, 8, and 9, you know, you don't find it in the other Gospels. And remember what I told you about the Gospel of John. John's Gospel is basically about, um, he wants to show God in Christ, the deity of Christ. So a lot of what he shows, a lot of what he reveals has to do with being directed by God, from God, uh, of God, is God, uh, revealing all of that. And so, uh, that's John's intent. So kind of put that in the back of your mind when you're, when you're reading the Gospel of John. His intent is to show the deity of Christ. Okay. Uh, so, verse 25. Therefore, some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, Is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? See, there's a lot of speculation. Some were getting it, some were hearing this, some were hearing that. It's like today. You know, you know, we're, we're living, we're living in this coronavirus environment and we hear how much information and disinformation or, you know, uh, innuendo or, or whatever about what's going on. You know, you, you could take two or three different sides on it because nobody really has all of the information all at the same time. So realize this is what's going on with Jesus's ministry. There is an area of confusion by some. And in, in, I don't mean go out and buy some, <laughs> by some people who would want to have confusion. Uh, and realize confusion is not the work of God. Confusion is the work of the, of the, of the enemy. It's the work of the devil. God does not confuse you. It is it is the devil that brings confusion, that wants to change it and turn it into something else. And because once you're confused, you don't move forward. You just hesitate. If anything, you move backwards. So verse 26, he says, and look, he is speaking publicly and they are saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. So on one hand, it sounds like they're starting to say, okay, he is the Christ, but then the other is kind of, well, but we don't know where he's going to come from. And so there's just a little bit of confusion. They want to make the recognition. And you see, this is a downfall of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Essenes, who are another religious group, and the ruling party, the Sanhedrin, um, that they should have taught the people and directed the people, look at what he's doing. He's doing everything according to Scripture. 
they should have been helping the people connect the dots because they were the ones, the priests were the ones that had scripture. The common person did not have scripture. They had to go to the synagogue or they had to go to the temple to hear scripture. They couldn't research research it for themselves. So the people that had control were doing a control thing. They weren't giving the truth out. They weren't showing the connection. Uh, they were keeping a lot of people in dark but others, you know, who who knew and were were hearing the teaching, seeing the miracles, and realizing this can only be from God. They were making that connection. But at the same time, when your leaders aren't helping you make that connection, it brings a bit of confusion, or there's tension, or there's an uneasiness there. So a lot of times we wonder, well, well, why didn't the people all just follow Jesus? Why didn't they get it? Why didn't they this? They realize there was a lot of confusion going on around his ministry, not because of what he was doing, but because of what people were saying about him and the confusion that was being brought on by the ruling class. And uh, so there was a lot of problems there. Now, verse 28, Jesus still in the temple. Jesus therefore cried out in the temple, teaching, saying, You both know me and know where I am from. I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. Notice all the uh, 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 capital letters there. You know, he he's talking about God the Father. So now he's beginning to make messianic statements in the temple. Now he's beginning to, you know, I've said in the last couple of weeks, his teaching takes a, a higher level, a deeper tone. It becomes more intense. He's starting to help the people connect the dots. You know, he says, I'm not doing this of my own will. I'm not just somebody who came along and is, is preaching good stuff that you might like to hear or doing some miracles here. No, I'm sent from God. He doesn't publicly come out and say it, but he says, you know, I know him because I am from him and he sent me. Okay. Verse 30, they were seeking, therefore, to seize him, and no man, no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. He had protection, supernatural, there. But many of the multitude believed in him, and they were saying, when the Christ shall come, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, Wilkie. So notice, some people were willing to seize him because they were trying to say that he was blaspheming God in the temple, and others were saying, wait a minute, we're believing in this guy because when the Messiah comes, what is a Messiah going to do that this man has not already done? So they're making that connection. But notice the division there. Jesus is trying to, to fulfill that ministry. How about when, if you've ever encountered this, you're, maybe you go to a family that you know, and they, they're not serving God, they don't know Christ, and maybe one family member is listening to your conversation and they're receiving what you what you're saying about Christ but other family members aren't and as soon as you leave they're going to say oh that was a bunch of junk or maybe even while you're there they might make little comments in the background or say something you know just to uh uh bring bring confusion in to all of this so realize what's, what's what's going on here we're not always going to preach the word of god in a perfect environment we're going to preach it in a in a in a hostile environment so we have to be ready for the hostility that comes our way when we preach the gospel 
so they were trying to seize him. Some were some were believing in him because again, remember those people that 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 uh, said Hosanna, you know, when he was coming in and his triumphant entry into, into Jerusalem. They were getting it, but the ruling class they didn't get it or they didn't want to get it because it wasn't about them. It was about something totally outside of them. It was about God. Now, verse 32. It said, the Pharisees, now hold it there. Pharisees. Pharisees were not an official religious party. They were a religious party in a sense, but the official religious party that was given recognition from Rome were the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were the ones who controlled the temple. They were the ones who, the, the, the priesthood and that was going on there and the things in the synagogue. The Pharisees, they started out as a very devout group of men, but over time they became more of a political outfit. They became, it became more about them. That's why, you know, it says about them, they wanted to be seen praying. They wanted to be seen giving their tithes and offerings. They would dress more elaborately than the others. Uh, they wanted people to think they were more pious than others. But in fact, they were not. And so, but the Pharisees, because of their position, and a lot of them had some wealth, they were part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the ruling class, and it was made up of Sadducees and Pharisees and probably some Essenes. Essenes were a small group that mostly lived outside in the desert. Uh, they were the ones that were around the Dead Sea Scroll area in, in Qumran and stuff like that. They didn't necessarily like the big city, but they were a devout group. They were called the Essenes. And then you had another group called the Zaliots. Uh, they were just zealous for the word of God. They would kind of be like ultra-Orthodox Jews today. You know, they were just zealous for the word of God. They would fight you for the word of God. Some of those people, the, all of those people mixed together, kind of made up the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin would be like your, uh, it was your ruling council. So it was the Sanhedrin uh, that Jesus is brought to uh, before he goes to Pontius Pilate. So just know that. So the Pharisees, they're a religious group, but it's they're more political than they are about Scripture at this time. Verse 32, the Pharisees heard the multitude muttering these things about him and the and the uh, these things about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Now notice, the Pharisees heard about the mutterings about these things about him, and the chief priests, which would be Sadducees, and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Jesus therefore said, For a little while longer I am with you, then I go to him who sent me. You shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am you cannot come. The Jews therefore said to one another, Where does this man intend to go, that we shall not find him? He is not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What he's talking about there, a lot of Jews were wandering up into the Greek world. Uh, and so they were thinking, is he going to go up into into those areas, Greece and Turkey and later uh, Rome? In verse 36, and what is this statement? That he said, you shall seek me and will not find me where I am. You cannot 
come. Jesus is making a messianic statement without fully making a messianic statement. If you were following the signs and the wonders and you knew what scripture said about who Messiah would be, you would totally understand in verse 33 when he said, for a little while longer, I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. Remember, he was just te- teaching his disciples. He's going to have to go. He's going to have to suffer. Uh, he's, he's, you know, even though they didn't want to hear that, he was teaching them that. He says, you shall seek me, verse 34, and you shall not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. They can't come because the only way they could come was to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior after the resurrection and enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of, of God. That's why he says, you cannot come because the kingdom has not come at that point. They had not been converted. And the Jews are now saying to one another, where does this guy intend to go that they we're not going to find him? So they were thinking analytically, and Jesus is just a spiritual talk. So realize that theology, theology is always spiritual. It's not going to be analytical. It's theological. This is who God is. What is God doing? What is the Holy Spirit doing? What is the work of Christ? What is God the Father uh, showing us? What is he doing? What is our understanding around that? Uh, The analytical mind has a, a tough time with that. Because they, they, they don't want to comprehend that. They don't, uh, uh, you know, it's like that demonstration I did in, in church not too long ago about a bag of popcorn. You know, that you take a bag of popcorn, and a, uh, a microwave bag of popcorn, and you wave it in front of the audience. And I said, what is this? You know, most of you raised your hand and said, you knew what it was. It was a bag of popcorn. But for an analytical mind, they say, no, I don't know what that is. And then I took it out and I put it into the into the microwave, and you know, as the microwave was going on, you, you begin to get that little popcorn smell, the smell of butter or whatever. And I I asked how many people know what's in here, and you all raised your hand. And, you know, it's, it's it's popcorn. The analytical mind doesn't know it's popcorn because it hasn't seen it. it it's, it's all it's seen is a bag and it's got a butter smell. Now all of a sudden it starts popping. The analytical mind still will not say that it's popcorn because they have not seen it. And so this is where our faith comes in. You know, we, we believe by not, by not seeing. And, and so the analytical mind, which is trying to do theology, it doesn't work. It says once the popcorn is popped and then, you know, you bring it out and now you've got this bag that's now inflated. And I say to you, what's in here? And you all say popcorn. But I haven't opened it. And the analytical mind will still not admit that it's a bag of popcorn because it hasn't been opened. For the analytical mind, you have to open it and they have to taste it. They have to have that physical substance, that taste in their mouth for them to say it's popcorn. And so this is what's going on in all of this. You know, they're, they're saying, where's he going? What's, what's going on here? They, they don't understand. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about, he's, about his death, his, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father. They're not ready for that. They can't comprehend that. And then Jesus goes even a little deeper on them in verse 37. He says, now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. 
But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, Jesus goes deep on them, and they're just not ready for it at all. And the scripture explains it, you know, verse 39, what the living water is. He spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. At this point, when he's saying it, the Holy Spirit had not been poured out. That doesn't happen until uh, Jesus ascends back to the Father, and it happens in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, where we're going to be when we finish our, our work here in the Gospels. And so, uh, you know, he said, you know, the Spirit has not yet been given uh, because Jesus has yet to be glorified. He has to go back to the Father. And once he's back to the Father, then the Holy Spirit comes. And this is what fills and dwells in the believer. Uh, so now he's talking about this living water. Uh, you know, again, you know, Christ is life. You know, he's the light in the world, but he is he is life. Uh, and this living water. We understand it. You know, those of us that have received the gospel, understand the gospel message, understand what, 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 what the, the work that Jesus did on the cross. You know, we, we, we understand that. But look at scripture from the context of the unbeliever. Look at it from the context of someone that doesn't know. So when you look at it that way, then you begin to develop, how would I now explain this to an unbeliever? How would I explain this to an analytical person? You know, how do I attempt attempt that? Okay. So, how's my audience doing? Any questions? Are we good? Okay. okay. I got one thumbs up and a nod, so we're doing good. Uh, verse 40, John chapter 7, verse 40. It says, Some of the multitude, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is a prophet. Now again, some of the people were saying, hey, they might not be saying this is, this is Messiah, but they're saying this is a prophet. And, you know, a prophet is someone who says, thus saith the Lord. A prophet is someone who speaks the word of God, not out of their own mind, will, or emotion, but they speak the word of God. And so some were saying, some of the multitude were saying, when they heard these words, they were saying, this certainly is a prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. Now some are making the connections. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Now, this is kind of a, you know, a wrap on, on Galilee. Galilee was in the northern part of Israel. And at this time, it was the southern part of Judea where the temple was at, where they were, uh, talking about, uh, if they felt, you know, uh, he was going to come out of the temple and, and all of the stuff and making his reference, you know, but he's not going to come out of, out of Galilee, is he? I have a question. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> So the fact that the people were debating whether he was the prophet or the Christ or the Christ couldn't come from Galilee, that's still going on today, right? I mean, there are Absolutely. certain Christian denominations that see, well, they see Jesus as only a prophet, but then there are other denominations that um, see or like us, we see him as the Christ. So there is a difference to this day. They still debate it. Still today, yes. But as Christians, we believe that he's the Christ. Yeah, for, for example, uh, this certainly is a prophet. You could say that this would align with Mormonism and it would align with uh, Jehovah Witness. They see him as a prophet, but not as God. Right. Yeah. 
So yeah, this is going on on today. Uh, you know, a good point because it gets me to chase this little rabbit that some people will identify as Christians, but when you press it, uh, you find out they really are not Christians. I think it's, you know, it's like the story I told you of the uh, Jehovah Witness that came to my door and they knocked on the door. And, and they, you know, I knew who they were. And I just said, hi. And they, and they said, hi, we're from, uh, the local church. And I said, oh, you're Christians. And they said, yes. And I said, oh, then you believe Jesus is God. And they said, no. And then I said, well, if you're a Christian, that's the main tenet of Christianity, that Jesus is God. So you come to my doorstep and you knock on my door. The first thing you tell me is a lie. How can I believe anything else is going to come out of your mouth? At that point, the conversation pretty much ended. <laughs> but this, this is the point that there are those that will identify themselves as Christians, but there's some non-negotiables in Christianity. And that's one of the big ones right there. I mean, that even, that is the one. You know, God in Christ. That is, that is the one. No, not just a prophet, not just an enlightened man. You know, it's God. See, only God can save your sins. Another human being cannot save your sins. Only God can save you from your sins. Only God has the authority to do that. That's why, you know, Moses, Elijah, whoever was not sent to do that work. Because they cannot do that. Only God can save. So that's part of the understanding there. So others were saying this is surely the Christ. Others were saying Christ is not coming out of Galilee. Is he? Verse 42. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Now here, connecting with scripture. And this is what we have to do. You have to connect Jesus to Scripture. This is why I say when you read the Bible, the Old Testament, all of it, it's pointing to the cross. It's pointing towards the Messiah. You just have to go through there and look and see, and then you see the connection. You know, we're not talking about chance here. You know, there, there's in the Old Testament, there's something like 375 actual references that refer to Jesus Christ, when you read them, you say, this is talking about Jesus Christ, you know, knowing knowing who Christ is. And there's probably another 400 that make an allusion to that, plus, you know, the stories and the, and the different things. The, the point here is that to get all of those things right, you know, the math on that is impossible. You know, how many times have you guessed one thing right, two things right, four things right in a row, five things in a row? Now, now you're in astronomical numbers of, of being able to predict something and get it right over and over and over. No one can do that. So the fact that Jesus fulfills all of these scriptures is again, is overwhelming evidence, uh, for him to be the God of the Bible and the one who the Bible speaks of. Uh, so 43. Verse 43, so there arose a division in the multitude because of him. So now we've got more division. Now even those that are are, are, are in the Bible realm here talking about Scripture and say, well, you know, he, he should come from Bethlehem and this and that. Now they're d- debating this and they're arguing over this. And then 44, and some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. You know, again, Jesus' ministry is getting very, very intense now. It's, you know, they're, they're, 
He's saying some very difficult things. Some people are starting to make the connections. He's coming out very boldly with some stuff. He doesn't come out and just flat out and say, I am God. That comes at the end. But, you know, he's making some statements that uh, some people are wanting to grasp. Others are afraid to make that public acknowledgement that this is who, 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 who I'm believing in. You know, because of the political environment and because of the religious environment and all kinds of other things. But people were debating. And so, again, uh, in today's world, people continue to debate all this. You know, even people that that will admit Jesus came, they say, oh, yeah, he was a good guy. Yeah, he was really good. Social justice. Yeah, he looked out for the for the little guy. But, you know, they don't make messianic claims about him they don't say this was god uh they they don't you know go into you know i'm a sinner and he had to come to save me you know because i can't save myself they don't make those kind of connections they'll just say they won't refute the fact that he came you know it's it's pretty hard like i've said the last few weeks on sunday service it's pretty hard to get around the fact that the whole world celebrates christmas and easter you know i mean wars have stopped it's christmas time you know and why? Because nothing happened almost 2,100 years ago? No, something happened. And what happened was Messiah came and changed the world forever. And there's the evidence, you know, and as Lee Strobel says, there's evidence there that demands a verdict. And the verdict is, this is the Christ. And so people are debating this. We'll go to our last uh, section here. Verse 45. It says, The officers therefore came to the chief priests, and Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, Never did a man speak the way this man speaks. Jesus was shaking him up. Why? Because he can speak as only God can speak. Again, when God is speaking and explaining Scripture, you know, we talk up in the church about revelation. This is more than revelation. This is something that would, you know, I, it's, it's got to take your breath away. It's got to be something that would, uh, uh, you know, just totally change you forever. You know, to hear, to hear Christ speak, to hear Christ explain scripture. The officer answered, uh, never did a man speak this way, the way this man speaks. Verse 47. The Pharisees therefore answered them, you have not also been led astray, have you? Ah, so now we see the ones here that aren't really getting it. Pharisees, you haven't been led astray, are you? Because the officers that are coming most likely are Roman officers because they were the ones, they were the police. So the Jews didn't have their own police. The the the, the military and the police were Romans. So the officers that came would be Roman guards. And so Roman guards who swear their allegiance to Caesar, whose subtitle is Son of God, they're saying, hey, man, nobody speaks like this guy. And now all of a sudden the Pharisees are now saying, wait a minute, are you now following into this too? So now you see that the Pharisees here are, are some of the main main ones that are are against Jesus. And again, Pharisees make up a good a good part of the uh of the Sanhedrin, which is the uh the ruling class. Let's see here. Verse forty eight. No one, no one of the rulers or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But this multitude which does not know the law is accursed. And then Nicodemus. Now Nicodemus 
shows up here again in chapter 7. You know, Nicodemus shows up in chapter 3 of God's gospel, and he's the one that comes at night. And now you know why he comes at night, because he's part of the Sanhedrin. He's part of the ruling class. But he's seeing the things that Jesus is doing. He's beginning to make a connection. So he comes to Jesus at night and wants to know, who are you? And the discourse that comes out of that leads to John 3.16. God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. So verse 50, Nicodemus said to them, He who came to him once before, being one of them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? So Nicodemus is trying to put some levity in here because he knows those Pharisees want to get him. They want to put him on the cross. And he says, well, our law, speaking of the law of Moses, speaking of of God's word, it says, you know, uh, he's due his day in court if you're going to try and accuse him of something. So he says, our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? And then verse 52, they answered and said to him, you are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. They're trying to make this connection, and now they're putting Nicodemus in there. Nicodemus stuck his neck out a little bit, and they're willing to chop it off. And it ends there, verse 53, and everyone went to his home. You know, no final outcome here. Uh, Still a bit of confusion. Uh, You know, people are going to believe what they're going to believe or or they're going to believe what they don't want to believe. But the point here is that we're reading John's John's gospel and we're going to be into it next week and probably the week after that is that Jesus is making some very profound statements about his ministry, about who he is. And he's saying it to people that want to believe in him people that are coming to faith in him, but also to people that don't want anything to do with him because somehow they saw Jesus as a threat to them and their way of life and what they wanted to do. And so uh, uh, that's kind of our teaching for tonight. But notice uh, what John does in his gospel. Again, chapter 7, you don't get in the other gospels. You only get it in John Seven. That's why we're putting the Gospels together this way, because if we just read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, yeah, we, we, we would get kind of the story from A, A to Z, but we wouldn't get this bit of teaching here. And this bit of teaching is, is foundational uh, for our, our, our walk in Christianity. Yeah, I have a question. Uh, John is not necessarily written in time order, right? No. It's more by theme. So... When Nicodemus, it sounds like Nicodemus came to Jesus' defense almost. Yes. Had he had had he um already had the conversation with him privately where it says you are um Yeah. So Yeah, because it says right there in the passage in verse fifty, Nicodemus said to them, and then in parentheses, he who came to him before being one of them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then Nicodemus shows up uh at the uh, burial. Yeah, when he's coming off the cross. Yes. Nicodemus shows up there. As well, so you got you, you you can make a very strong case for Nicodemus's conversion to Jesus as Messiah. That's uh, what I was getting at. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Nicodemus, one of those uh, heroes of, of of faith. Now, now on the on that point, think of the rough spot he was in. 
He's a member of the ruling class. He's a member of the, the Sanhedrin. Uh, he's got stature. He's got position. He's got all of this stuff. And now if he comes out and starts publicly saying, this is Messiah and you all have to follow and do this, you know, they're going to come after him too. So, uh, you know, the other side of that, he's walking along and he's, 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 he's watching Jesus do what Jesus is there to do. He's not interfering, but he's walking along with it and he's observer to what's, what's going on. So, any other thoughts, questions from my audience of two? And uh, uh, again, I, I do like having an audience because, uh, again, as you know, on Bible studies on, on Wednesdays, I like the, the interaction because the questions, uh, you know, I always prepare an outline based on a passage or what I see. But I like to hear what people see or what are the questions, because a lot of times it takes us down a road. And I remember a couple of those Bible studies where we didn't even get to the lesson at all because somebody asked a question up front and it took us to the whole nother line of study that we were all edified and we all got a lot out of. So I just enjoy the question. So I just, again, want to encourage you to uh, uh, email me any questions that you have on, on the teaching. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with it next week or I'll get back to you privately, however you want to do that. Um, or give me a call, but make sure we get your answers, your, your, your questions answered. And also direct others to this particular passage, I mean to, to our, our, our podcast in our online service, because a lot of times people have questions, they want to come to the Lord, or they are not going to go to a, a service per se, but you can lead them to a Bible teaching where they can listen in their home. And no one will know that they're, that they're doing it, because once this is all done, uh, when we're able to come back and meet again as a congregation, you know, we want to come together and have a kind of a homecoming celebration, as a sense. And it'd be really nice to be able to invite people that have met us, you know, through our podcast, met us through our, our, our online service, and, uh, you know, hearing the Word of God. And, and, and the same thing with with the men's ministry and the marriage ministry. You know, somebody that's going through through that, you know, direct them to those podcasts, you know, because it's, it's very edifying. And, uh Many times, you know, they'll, they'll get answers to questions they have without ever asking a question. You know, that's the way God does things. And that's the beauty of the, of the, of the Bible and the Word of God. So, let's go ahead and say a, a word of prayer uh, before we dismiss for tonight. Lord God, again, with praise and honor and glory, we just thank you, Lord, for all that you're, you're doing in this time, Lord, that we might be separated physically from one another, but, Lord, spiritually we are still together, and, Lord, we are not separated from you any way, shape, or form. And so, Lord, you are that that brings us together, Lord. So, Father, I thank you for our church, Lord. I thank you for uh, the health of our members, Lord, and the protection, Lord, and, and um, that you supply any needs there, Lord. If anybody has a need of anything, Lord, help us to find out so we can meet that need. And again, Lord, that uh, everyone is just uh, in their families, Lord, or, or watched over and, uh, and healed of, of anything, Lord. And so, Father, we just give you thanks and praise and Glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So, God bless you guys. Thank you for uh, listening. And I hope to see you uh, Sunday. Don't forget, uh, our service will be online again. So, God bless and see you soon.